Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing, almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and we're starting kind of an interesting series of conversations. I had listeners request multiple times over the course of the last few months some more conversations with herding dog people and sort of the specific nature of herding dogs and dogs that work in the herding group and all variety of breeds. And so I'm very excited. This is an area I have done a little bit of here in the show, but I personally am not super informed. So this is a great learning experience for all of us together. (laughs) So today... I have Melinda Weber, who is a breeder of German Shepherd dogs under the Weber House kennel name in Kansas. And Melinda is going to talk to us about sort of her Czech East German working line, German Shepherds. And I'm really excited. So welcome, Melinda. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yay. Okay. So like I said to you earlier, I know literally like pretty much nothing. So you are on. So give us us a little bit of background about yourself, your 411, we call it, and how you kind of got involved in this, which is a pretty big, intense operation, right? In terms of working with your dogs in Schutzend and that sort of a thing. Absolutely. So my name is Melinda Weber. I am the owner, breeder of Weber House German Shepherds, And alongside with my husband, who does a lot of working with the dogs, as well as doing helper work for us. I obviously have been in the breed for quite some time. When did you get your first German Shepherd and why? What got you started with that? So 
so I got my first German Shepherd around 20 years ago. The dog that I got, I didn't understand doing proper research as well as I would now. Right. And the final dog that I got, I decided that I wanted to do something similar to what the police dogs were doing because I was friends with a whole lot of officers who were in the canine unit. I was getting in the bite suit. I loved the aspect of the working dog, the intelligence, and the willingness for the dog to perform any task that we asked them to do. When I wanted to be the civilian on that side of things, Schutzen was at the time the thing that was going to get me to my goals. Okay. And unfortunately, the dog that I had purchased was a dog that did not have good hips and not good elbows. And he was not capable of performing the task. And that kind of sent me on a search to find a dog that could do that. And I essentially ran into breeders who were telling me all the things I wanted to hear, but the breeders were not actually being honest about what was actually true about the dogs, their joints, their titles, and things like that. And finally, I was graced with one of my club members wanted to part with his Czech DDR female due to some personal issues. So I purchased her. And when I did that, I was able to see all the documentation up front. I was able to x-ray this dog that had great hips and elbows. And originally, my plan was never to grow up and become a German Shepherd breeder. (laughs) The reason that I actually took the leap into the breeding realm was because after doing research and years of research, I became aware that dealing with a truthful and ethical breeder was something that seemed really hard to find. And I just wanted to breed my female in the sense that not only was she a very nice dog, but I wanted to breed her because I knew that if I was breeding her, that no one was going to lie to me about the pedigree. They weren't going to lie to me about the health testing that had been done. And I titled her, I worked her, and I knew exactly what she was, the good and the bad. And I was very transparent about that with myself. Well, and I think for any of us in any breed, being honest with yourself is step number one, right? (laughs) Like job number one, know what you got and what you don't got. That is absolutely awesome. And so you compete in Schutzend and Schutzend is a sport that we have just not covered here on the show. You're competing with what would be considered in the vernacular working line German Shepherds, right? Absolutely. The Schutzen, as it used to be called, which moved from Schutzen to IPO and then to IGP training. Okay. Essentially a breed test for the German Shepherd dog. And what it did is it tested the dog's ability to work independently of its handler through tracking, which obviously makes the dog useful in other venues such as police work. It tested the dog's ability to handle stress and pressure through obedience and protection work and to perform a task where the dog was being able to be used to subdue or handle difficult subjects without using lethal force. Okay. Very, very interesting. And so, I mean, I think all of us have seen some YouTube video somewhere of a bad guy running away and the German Shepherd running across the field and knocking him down, right? So now you know what I know about Schutzen. (laughs) Sorry, it's a fact. Can you give us some really 
good example some of the tests are there different levels i assume like there are in most of our other testing type of situations absolutely so with what we'll call igp mm-hmm. because that's its current name with igp there are multiple different levels when dogs are working in this sport and those different levels kind of start with a bh the bh is essentially a obedience test and temperament test showing us that the dog has proper nerve and capability to have a relationship with its handler and perform just basic levels of obedience that would make the dog a family companion dog. Mm-hmm. Once the dog passes its BH, the dog is allowed at that point to progress on to IGP titles. And then they have an IGP level one, two, and three, three being the hardest. Okay. And each one of those degrees is a canine triathlon for the dog and the handler. And in such, they will typically, based on the club's entries and the way they set their schedule up, they will offer tracking for the IGP level one, two, and three. And in each level, the dog is required to track on a line at 33 feet from its handler, indicate articles, which the handler must pick up from the dog, and then restart the dog. And then obviously as the dogs go up in degrees, there is longer tracks. Mm -hmm. In the level one, the track is laid by its handler and has three articles. In the level two, the track is bigger, has three articles and is laid by a stranger. And then by the time the dog gets to a level three, again, the track is much larger and is got three articles and more corners. So we actually have five corners in that track plus the three articles, whereas the one and the two only have two corners. Right. So incorporates a lot of different elements of various sports. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So we have the tracking and then we do have the obedience. Mm -hmm. The obedience is graded on the dog's happy willingness to work for its handler. The dog is required to do different obedience exercise off leash where part of the exercise is a healing pattern, healing through groups of people and staying on task and focus. Mm -hmm. The dog must also retrieve a dumbbell on the flat, which is a dog running out across the yard and retrieving a dumbbell and presenting it back to the handler. The dog also has to do this over a hurdle. And then it also must do this over a climbing wall. Mm -hmm. The levels of IGP one, two, and three have separate size dumbbells. The Level one dogs will retrieve a dumbbell weighing 650 grams, and the level three dogs will be retrieving a dumbbell that is 2,000 grams. Okay, so tell me how many pounds is that? Oh, that's a terrible question. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it's a lot more. Let's just go with that. It's a lot more. (laughs) A lot more. Yeah. That's fabulous. That is fabulous. I love that. I'm so used to metrics, right? Right. Well, yeah, especially when we're talking about the dumbbells and the IGP, right. everything is in centimeters. Your whole system, because this is essentially a German system. Absolutely. The IGP was developed in Germany, was it not? As you said, as a test for the shepherds. Yes, it was a breed test for the German shepherds. So yeah, all of the things that we talk about and the things that we do, we're all 
saying, you know, my dog is so many centimeters tall or my dumbbell is so many grams in weight. Right. So they go through these processes and you've got basic obedience, you've got basic tracking, and there's a protection component too, correct? From what you told me earlier? Absolutely. So the protection component is probably one of the most kind of misconceptions that our sport has. Mm. And a lot of people think that when we're training our dogs for IGP sport protection, that this makes our dogs dangerous. And really what it's doing is it's not telling our dogs that they're not allowed to bite, telling our dogs when it's okay to bite. And really all about control. And it all goes back to good nerves, good temperament, and control of our dogs. So when we're doing our sport of IGP, we send our dogs in for a bark and hold. The dog is not allowed to grip the person until the person attempts to make an escape or a threat to the dog. Mm. And so for that reason, the dog is very well trained when it's acceptable and not acceptable to bite or grip that person. The protective sleeve obviously is there for the dog to target a particular sleeve and for the dog to bite that arm. The decoy's job is to apply pressure to the dog during this phase, and the dog is to counter that and show power and strength by maintaining a full, hard grip on the sleeve and not chewing or coming off under the threat. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So I want you to expand on this because it's a term that I hear consistently when I'm talking to working dog people, military dog people, police dog people, whatever anybody who's breeding dogs that are working in this environment. And it's that term of reference of nerve, which is very specific to this group of dogs, right? Like it's not something we talk about in sporting dogs, at least not under that definition. Absolutely. So talk to me, expand on that concept and what that really means to your breed. So in our breed, they are described as being confident, aloof, bold and not easily startled types of dogs. Mm -hmm. So when we want to talk about good nerve in a dog, that's one reason why we use the Schutzen protection for this type of test, because we're putting the dog in a situation where the dog is being pressured by a decoy who uses a padded stick on the dog. And during this time, If a dog has poor nerve, the dog will release the sleeve and move away and be like, hey, that was scary. Mm -hmm. And a good dog with good nerves is going to go, is that all you got? And come back harder. Or the dog's going to unwaver at all and just be like, that's nothing. No worries. Right. And so for us, that is why we value parts of the IGP testing for our breed. Because you are able to demonstrate that the dog has, if you will, steady nerves, is confident, is sure of himself. Absolutely. And even part of our obedience, again, tests nerve on the dog because while they're doing obedience, there are gunshots that take place, Mm -hmm. showing us that the dog is not weak-nerved under gunfire. Mm -hmm. We talked about this off-air, and I thought you just made such a really, really good point about this. Talk to us about how if you will, again, the term steady nerves, that dog with good nerves, how that translates to being a good companion and or a good working dog. Well, as most people who have had dogs of any breed would know, 
there are some dogs that have issues with gunfire. They have issues with vacuums. They have issues with fireworks. Mm -hmm. And heck, I mean, I think that there's probably some people that if you talk to them, they would tell you that maybe their dog's afraid of the ice maker in their house. (laughs) And yeah, we have to obviously chuckle a little bit about those things because we go, wow, what a silly thing to be afraid of. But at the same time is there's some people that say, hey, when people walk to my house, my dog barks a couple times and then takes off running for the other side of the house. Like you're on your own. Mm. And you know, in our breed, our breed should be bold. It should be confident. And when things like that are happening, regardless of whether it's gunshots or fireworks or someone knocking on our door, our dog should go forward and say, I'm here. I'm letting you know that I'm here. I'm not afraid of you. And I'm willing to be protective of my things, regardless of whether it's my person, my home, or my sheep mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to protect. Mm-hmm. And those good nerves that we want in our breed is something that a lot of people seem to overlook. And when it comes down to just a family companion, even if you just want a wonderful family companion, that is one reason why we would encourage people to look for the breeders who are still testing their dogs in manners such as IGP, because even if you're just looking for a family companion, you want to make sure that the breeder that you're purchasing your puppy from has tested the parents and the puppies for all of these things so that you can have the most wonderful possible family companion that you can and long-term enjoy. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Check out Embark's link at puredogtalk.com and enter the code puredogtalk at checkout for $20 off DNA tests for breeders. You mentioned something that I thought was really valuable and it applies on a lot of levels and a lot of breeds. Not every single puppy and every single litter is going to be as high drive as perhaps you're looking for for competitive IGP dog but still has steady nerves to make a good family companion 
And it's the same with show dogs or bird dogs or whatever it is. So I thought that was a really, really important point. Absolutely. As I had mentioned, one of my kind of breeder pet peeves, I guess, is is when we have people who say, I don't want to buy a dog from a breeder who's titling their dogs because that's not important to me. I just want a family companion. Mm -hmm. And to those individuals who say, I just want a family companion, I would want to educate these people that you want to buy a dog from a breeder who is testing their dogs and ensuring that those dogs have good temperament and good nerve. And those working titles don't necessarily mean that every single puppy in that litter is going to be a working quality dog. And all of us working breeders who are testing and titling our dogs, we get excellent family companion puppies. And those puppies are perfectly fine for a normal active family home to go boating and hiking and doing all those things. Those puppies are definitely within our litters of working line parents. And they do need excellent homes. Right. Those are the types of dogs that people want to have with their families that are going to have good nerves to be around their kids. Right. So communication, super important, just like with any other breeder. You have a buyer come to you and say, I want a companion for my home. And I have a three-year-old child and a seven-year-old child. And I want to do X, Y, and Z. That helps you, just like all the rest of us, pick the best puppy in that litter to be the best fit for that home. Correct. Every one of what we would consider to be a reputable breeder is going to be breeders that want to talk to their clients about their wants and needs for their puppy. What do you want to do? What are your plans for this puppy? What type of activities do you engage in? And what kind of activities would you hope to potentially engage in with your future puppy? And that information is going to allow us as a breeder to properly test and evaluate our litter and ensure that the right puppy is matched in the right home so that everybody has a long, happy life. And sometimes it's really difficult for customers to take a step back and say, you know, I'm putting a lot of trust into my breeder to pick my puppy for me mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, they know those puppies best and they want the best for their puppies. Yep. And it's a little hard for people who are kind of used to the old school mentality of I'm going to come out and see which one the cutest or which one Looks right, at me my pants. Kind of right. I know. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely on target. And certainly that's how I place my puppies. I spend eight weeks nonstop with these puppies. And I know which one is a little more laid back and which one's a little more of a hard charger and which one's going to fit best in which family. And I think that that you're right is the challenge sometimes for folks to understand but is so important in making sure that you have a good relationship and the pet fits into the family well. Absolutely. And that should be the long-term goal of any breeder is ensuring that the right puppy gets the right home. Right. Absolutely. So out of curiosity, and again, ignorance mostly, (laughs) is there any confirmation or structure evaluation that goes with the IGP testing system? Absolutely. So in Germany, before a dog is allowed to be used for breeding purposes, they must undergo the working title itself. And in addition to that, they were required to obtain a show rating, which is not terribly unlike an AKC show, but Mm -hmm. is very different also. So the dogs are definitely in a ring. They're going to run around. 
so that the judges can evaluate structure and the dog's movement properly. Mm-hmm. And the thing with the German rating is, is that those dogs are graded against the breed standard, not necessarily against each other so much. And every dog in the ring that is capable will obtain a rating. So it's not about really the points in the SV confirmation ring. Mm-hmm. It's the dogs rated as V, which means excellent. They're rated SG, as in very good, and then they're rated as G, which means good. If you were to receive a lower rating than that, which would be like a U, which would be like an unsatisfactory type thing, Mm. then that would usually indicate that the dog does not look like a German Shepherd in any way, or the dog has floppy ears, or something that would preclude the dog from being able to obtain what we call a core class or breed survey. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the show rating that is given to the dog. The breed survey actually is a portion where the judge will look at your dog in a properly stacked position and they will go over the dog with a fine tooth comb. Mm. They have already checked all the teeth are present, that the ears stand, testicles have been descended. And then the next steps that they're going to do is they're going to want to measure the chest width and depth. And they're going to want to ensure that proportionately the dog is put together properly. They're going to make all these notes on to part of the core class. And they're going to give you an overview that explains to you the dog's size within the breed standard as being, you know, medium-sized or large-sized dog. They're going to tell you if the dog has good pigment or not quite so good pigment. They're going to tell you what the dog needs improvement on if it has weak pasterns or stifles, and it's going to talk to you about the croup of the dog on whether it's of correct length and angulation or if it's too short or too steep. And essentially, that is a breed survey that the dog must pass in order to be allowed for breeding purposes. Here in the United States, it's a little more difficult to obtain a breed survey because we do have so few judges, so we're kind of stuck importing or flying judges over, you might say, for trip Mm -hmm. to do breed surveys. And we hope that more people will take interest and be able to provide core classes and breed surveys more frequently in the United States in the future. And curiosity, I know, again, I have German wire-haired pointers and the Germans definitely have a very specific system for almost all their breeds that's very similar. And then is it in this case that the information from that breed survey is then available when you start trying to make breeding decisions, which it is in my case, in my breed. Yeah. So the breed surveys are definitely, a lot of people who post pedigrees and stuff will post breed survey to the dog's pedigree on like an online database Mm -hmm. or in the event that it's not posted somewhere, but the dog has a core class, which you see denoted behind the dog's name Mm -hmm. as a KKL. When those are the case, we're looking at like a stud dog, we're going to ask for the core class report so we can actually look at those things and see things. But there is a great deal of information that we can also tell just by some of the show ratings that are provided for the dogs. Whereas, so if you see a dog that has a V show rating before its name, that means that the dog was rated as excellent, means no missing teeth, means that the dog was in excellent condition. Mm-hmm. when they were presented to a judge. And so there's certain things that that can kind of tell us. 
Okay. Whereas if we see a dog with like a G rating and we go, hmm, the dog is structurally put together really nice, we can kind of somewhat even surmise that maybe the dog was given a G rating because the dog was missing a tooth. Mm-hmm. Or in some cases, maybe it's because the dog didn't perform well in the ring and didn't want to gate or something like that. But there's a lot of different aspects that we use when we're looking at our dogs as far as breeding prospects. And then another part of the system that the Germans can provide for us if we do our hips and elbows through the SV system is they provide us with ZW numbers. And those ZW numbers in Germany are required to be less than 200 for a breeding pair. So that allows us to make good breeding choices as far as hips and elbows go. We can breed lower ZW numbers to lower ZW numbers to maintain one genetic diversity as well as better orthopedics with our dogs. So tell me about the ZW number. Does that actually run like a pedigree COI as well as, you know, your hips are good, but your COI is low? I mean, tell me about that. That's fascinating. So the downside to working with the SV system in a lot of our cases is that it's not like an open free database like the OFA is. But an A stamp program is if you're a member of the SV then you can log on to a database, pull up any of the dogs that were rated through their system, and it will give you a ZW number for the dog plus their hips and elbows. And the ZW number is based on a lot of facts, actually. It's based on the pedigree that's behind the dog and what the hips and elbows of the individual dog at that time look like. Mm -hmm. Then in the case of males or females, that ZW number will change throughout their lifetime based on how they produce. So if their progeny are having their hips and elbows done, that ZW number can go up or down based on how the dog is producing. And it's actually an interesting system because a lot of dogs, maybe let's use the example of like a Czech dog who has their own system in the Czech Republic that they're using, Mm. but you have a Czech dog and you input it into the system in Germany. The Czech dog would have certain information that they have from the genetics that they have on file and what they've produced, but they may not have the full picture. So they might start out with a ZW number of, let's just say, magically 85, which is not a bad number, but it's kind of right there in the middle of, well, let's see how things go almost. And for example, one of my dogs started out with a ZW number of 85, and I bred him and I have had several of his daughters tested through the SV system and his ZW number ended up dropping down to an 82 because he was producing really good hips and elbows with the breedings that I was doing. And in one case, one of my stud dogs had a ZW number of 72, which was an excellent rated ZW number. And when his daughter that I sent over for her hip x-rays came through, that dog was also awarded a 72 because He was actually a German dog, and there was a long-term history of her genetics within the system, and she was awarded a 72 as well because of the genetic history of how they've been producing. That is fascinating. Tying the individual dog's hip rating to their progeny is absolutely novel to anything that we have here in the U.S., and I think that that is fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Also, why we choose to use the SV system? The reason that we do that is is because the SV system is rated based on a scientific measurement, and it's not really an opinion-based rating. These x-rays are actually put up 
are measured out in a certain way that tells you what rating this dog is going to get. Right. So closer to the pen hip than to the OFA type of x-ray system. Right to Florida, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Well, Melinda, we are out of time, but this has been absolutely enjoyable. I have learned more in half an hour about the particular line of German Shepherd dogs that you're working with than I would have believed was out there. So (laughs) I just, I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners do too. And I love to learn new stuff. And I am fascinated by this SV number concept. I'm going to have to dig more on that and we'll see if we can't find some links. So thank you. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 